everyone and welcome back to The Ship Detectives for part two of the Kelly Turner case where we are delving into the depths of the deception and medical child abuse. This is Medical Murder. Trigger warnings. Medical abuse. Medical language. Munchausen's child death and dying. We completely understand if this particular case is going to cover topics that you feel will compromise your own mental health and you elect not to listen to this case. Take care, and we hope to see you another time. As you may recall from our previous episode, we had just reached the point in the timeline where Olivia's body was exhumed due to suspicions of Munchausen's by proxy after Kelly had taken another one of her daughters into the hospital, claiming that she had previously had cancer and was suffering with bone pain, prompting fears in Turner that the cancer had returned. Take it away, Echo. It was reported by Law and Crime that the renewed investigations into Olivia's death were prompted by Turner's public declaration that Olivia's sister had been diagnosed with cancer, a claim that was quickly proven to be false. Though it is important to note that Turner had already landed on the radar of detectives after several doctors at the Children's Hospital Colorado reported that they didn't think Olivia had the diseases that her mother kept insisting on. It's reported that five months before Olivia died, healthcare providers noticed discrepancies between how much discharge they saw in her stoma bag and how much was recorded in her medical records. This was an important indicator of how well Olivia's intestines were working, and when these discrepancies were reported, it was ordered that she be monitored one-on-one for 24 hours. The monitor was tasked with observing the output and ensuring accurate measurements were taken. It's said that Turner was very distressed by this decision and protested that the providers were punishing her, that they thought she was a bad mother and were questioning her ability to care for Olivia. Allegedly, under the watch of a constant monitor, Olivia's stoma bag output dramatically improved and her output was within the normal range. Olivia was discharged after this and a note states that the doctors weren't sure if the output improved because of the medicine prescribed or because of a spontaneous resolution, though the timing of the improvement did start raising questions. It was the day following this monitoring that Turner approached the hospital about avoiding surgeries or other invasive procedures so that they could focus on Olivia's bucket list. Only five days before this, Turner had requested an order that Olivia not be resuscitated if her heart stopped or given naloxone if she overdosed from the unusually high amounts of opioid medication that she was prescribed. Turner is quoted as saying the following to justify the order according to Olivia's medical records. Quote, If Olivia dies while we're rotating opioids, it is God's time to call her home. And I'm not going to stop that. I will not watch my child die while you guys are pounding her chest or sticking a tube down her throat. According to records, the hospital didn't report their suspicions about Turner to the state's Department of Human Services, despite the state-mandated reporting law, until more than a year after Olivia's death. Instead, the hospital investigated the concerns internally through its own child protection team, It was in a series of ethics meetings, relying in part on false information that had been provided by Turner herself, 
which led them to conclude that there was no reason to alert outside authorities to the potential abuse Olivia was subjected to. The records that were provided to the Denver Post by Olivia's family details how Children's Hospital Colorado, considered one of the top paediatric hospitals in the country and a leader in recognising child abuse. While discounting the concerns of the doctors and nurses that had been involved in Olivia's care, missed the potential warning signs that ultimately allowed Turner to murder her daughter by ceasing all of the nutrition and then taking her to the Denver Hospice, where she was heavily medicated, fed mounted popsicles and juice for 19 days and then subsequently died. Their failure to report the abuse concerns held by the medical providers involved in Olivia's care allowed for Turner to avoid serious investigation and subsequently led to Olivia's death. Turner wasn't investigated until 14 months after that precious child had lost her life, when Turner brought her older sister in for a similarly vague medical complaint. It is reported by the Denver Post that it appears the hospital followed a 2016 written policy by the Post that instructs medical providers to submit concerns about abuse to the hospital's internal child protection team, which then decides whether to report the suspicions to outside agencies. This approach doesn't comply with the Colorado's mandated reporting law, which does not allow institutions to investigate child abuse suspicions on their own. Despite the fact that Olivia's symptoms and pain levels didn't match Turner's descriptions as shown in her medical records, nor does it match the behaviours that Olivia displayed. A sick child doesn't usually want to run around and play. Children's Hospital Colorado continued to give deference to Turner's wishes. Though some doctors suggested to the possibility that Olivia's reported pain could have been due to opioid-induced hyperalgesia which is a condition that causes a patient's nerves to become more sensitive to pain after taking opioids. It was noted by one doctor that Olivia would scream in pain for around 20 minutes after receiving hydromorphone. Elizabeth Whitehead, a spokeswoman for the hospital, did deny that the doctors, hospitals and nurses had suspected medical abuse. However, she wouldn't elaborate on this and she subsequently declined interview requests regarding it. The Police Investigation Olivia's body was exhumed in November 2018, more than a year after her untimely death, and she underwent an autopsy that revealed there was no intestinal failure, nor did she have any of the other illnesses that Turner claimed. Following this, her cause of death was changed from intestinal failure to undetermined. The coroner, Dr. Kelly Lear, is said to have conducted the autopsy. It is reported that Dr. Lear stated that Olivia's ultimate cause of death could not be determined. However, it is reportedly noted that there was no evidence that her death was the result of any illnesses that Turner claimed her daughter had suffered. It was on the 24th of June, 2019, when Dr. John Beeler, a general paediatric surgeon, was interviewed by police. It was Dr. Beeler that had performed Olivia's G-tube, ileostomy and central line surgeries. Olivia had been referred to Dr. Beeler and Dr. Kramer because she had constipation problems and dysmotility. 
Dysmotility is a condition in which muscles of the digestive system become impaired and changes in the speed, strength or coordination in the digestive organs occurs. According to Dr. Bieler, Dr. Kramer had described it as a challenging diagnosis. During his interview, Dr. Bieler described Turner as a high-maintenance mother and stated that she wasn't afraid of surgery. He also stated that with all the conditions Olivia was being treated for, none of them were terminal and that she was not, in any capacity, a terminal patient. Dr. Bieler stated that death from intestinal failure happens for two reasons either malnutrition or liver failure. He went on to further explain that malnutrition doesn't happen in the US and that liver failure comes from the liver not being utilised during normal organ function with the GJ tube. Because the GJ tube bypasses the stomach, so the liver can't send out the enzymes and break down the food. He went on to say that the liver failure occurs years after a GJ tube has been placed and said that Olivia was in no way anywhere near close to being in liver failure. On the 25th of June 2019, police interviewed Dr. Kristen Park, a paediatric neurologist. She first treated Olivia on the 28th of May 2013 due to reports of seizures. Dr. Park claimed that Olivia was monitored over a time period to see if the seizure-like activity that had been described by Turner would occur. It was stated by Dr. Park that Olivia didn't have seizures and she told Turner to stop giving her daughter the Keppra medication. Dr. Park stated in her interview that she had reviewed MRI scans from Texas Children's Hospital and saw there was a possible corticoid dysplasia present in Olivia's frontal lobe area. However, this wasn't seen on any scans that were conducted on Olivia during her care. According to the affidavit, Dr. Park said that Turner had told her Olivia's medical history and symptoms and that Turner wouldn't take Olivia off of the Keppra medication despite having been distinctly told on three separate occasions to stop giving the medication to Olivia as it wasn't good for behaviour problems and can cause psychosis, mood swings and other behaviours. Dr. Park noted that Keppra is taken for a diagnosis of seizures which Olivia didn't have and also stated that Olivia was not a terminal patient. When interviewed by police, Dr. Sosen stated that he didn't know if Olivia could actually tolerate feeds through her GJ tube or not because a separation test was never done before she passed away. She had been involved in Olivia's care and had treated her for intensive feeding therapies. She stated that Olivia had graduated to age-appropriate foods and had no difficulties with swallowing or tolerating foods. Jackie claimed that Olivia had completed the therapies without encountering any issues and had not needed to participate in the feeding therapies any longer. There were many other professionals who had been involved in Olivia's care who were interviewed by detectives. These were just a select few. Following the autopsy and the many interviews conducted by police, one of which was with Turner, where she mentioned Munchausen syndrome by proxy and denied having it. She stated, that has never been my case, like at all, whatsoever. You can talk to anyone that stood by my side through all of this. The police arrived at a shocking conclusion that there had never been anything medically wrong with Olivia. 
it had all been Turner, convincing doctors that her daughter needed to undergo treatments while basking in the attention, as well as profiting from people's generosity. Through social media research, Detective Seaman was able to determine that Turner had began a blog that detailed the medical conditions of her two daughters, which began on September 27, 2011, and started the GoFundMe campaign in July 2015. It was through the GoFundMe page that the investigators became aware of a wish that was granted through the Make-A-Wish Foundation on 17th of February 2017, which was based on Olivia's reported medical status. The investigators met with the Make-A-Wish Foundation director, Joan Mazak, who provided documents related to Olivia's wish. These documents included the financial and expense reports. Remember last episode, we mentioned that it was around $11,000 that Make-A-Wish Foundation had spent granting Olivia's wish to be a bat princess. Joan told detectives that the wish had involved a limousine ride, costumes, balloons, miscellaneous decorations and props, as well as the location. It was said that Olivia was dressed in a bat princess costume and essentially a large party had been thrown for her. According to the affidavit, the total expenses incurred by the Make-A-Wish were $11,262.88. It was also mentioned in the affidavit that the detective seaman learned through the Colorado Department of Labor that Turner was not gainfully employed. This meant that it was likely her children were enrolled in the Medicaid program. He followed this up and was able to confirm through the Colorado Medicaid Fraud Investigation Unit that both girls were in fact enrolled. Investigators were also able to have a meeting with Jeff Gant on the 24th of October 2017, where he told them that since Turner and the girls had moved to Colorado in 2012, he had been in continuous full-time employment. Reportedly, he was taking $300 every two weeks from his paychecks for living expenses and depositing the rest, which was approximately $1,800 every two weeks in a Wells Fargo bank account, which he jointly owned with Turner. He claimed that he didn't use any of the money as it was intended for Turner to use on her living expenses. Jeff also informed detectives that his employers have always provided health insurance and that at the time of the move, Turner and all the girls were covered by Jeff's health insurance. It was also claimed that while the girls were on his insurance, they were never denied any claims. A short time after Turner had moved from Texas to Colorado, she contacted Jeff and requested that he remove her and the girls from his health insurance. She had made the claim that the children's hospital made ensure it's available and that she could buy for a lower cost which would cover everything for both girls. He believed her and removed them from his policy. The detectives were able to verify that what Jeff said was true when they obtained the records of the accounts belonging to Jeff and Kelly Gant by court order. All of the account balances corroborated his account regarding his deposits and transfers. These records showed that the accounts were used almost exclusively by Turner based on the number of transactions completed in Colorado versus Texas. You may remember that on the 31st of July 2013, Turner had listed herself as divorced from Jeff and listed him as an absent parent. 
We mentioned it when we were introducing who Turner was. Well, what we didn't mention was that on the 4th of November 2013, she had listed herself as married to Jeff in an application and applied for benefits for Jeff. She even went as far as to list him on the application as a Colorado resident and listed him as unemployed as of the 1st of November 2013. And to add to it all, she claimed that no one, including Jeff, had any health insurance benefits or employer health coverage. Based on analysis of the bank records and employment records, it was determined that Turner had received a total overpayment of $538,991.67 between March 2014 and December 2018, but it doesn't end there. Turner also received a cheque for $3,000 from Professional Miracles Foundation which is a foundation created by members of the local real estate industry for the purpose of helping families with very sick children. It was delivered to Turner at the Denver Hospice. Then, to add to it all, records from GoFundMe showed that Turner's campaign had raised $22,270 and all of these funds had been transferred from the campaign, but unfortunately there was no record of a receiving bank account. There was no evidence that Turner had ever amended the information that she had provided to Jefferson County DHS to reflect Jeff's income, his available private insurance, or the income she received through the fundraisers she had done. Jeff said that he had never been a resident of Colorado and claimed that his longest trip to Colorado had been to visit Turner and the girls for approximately three weeks. He had been employed in Texas the entire time. In October 2019, Turner was arrested and charged with murder, child abuse, theft and fraud. She pleaded not guilty, but last year in 2022, just weeks before her trial was due to commence, she made a plea deal. The accused? Her mother. The authorities believe that Kelly Turner pretended her daughter was sick and convinced doctors to perform procedures. Her motive? Why? To cash in on donations, of course, and bask in attention from television appearances until this little girl died. She admitted felony child abuse that negligently caused death, plus theft and fraud charges and the murder charges were dismissed. Turner has insisted that she was innocent, but had pleaded guilty to spare her family the stress and grief of a trial. It was reported by the Denver Post that when Olivia was 13 months old, the family lived in Texas, and it was at this point that Turner began posting a blog about Olivia and her sisters. It was on this blog that she detailed their supposed medical conditions and the family's hospital visits. She used the blog to solicit money for their care and travel expenses. It was in this blog that Turner claims Olivia to have had a misshapen head, developmental delays likely caused by Turner, seizures, a tumour and too much fluid on her brain known as hydrocephalus, and celiac disease. Most of this was later proven to be false. It is also reported that Turner claimed that Olivia's sister, who was two at the time, was also struggling with her health. It was claimed that she was suffering from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and an immune deficiency that meant it wasn't safe for her to go out in public. 
She was never diagnosed with anything more serious than ear infections. The Denver Post also reported that some of the claims were nonsensical, with one of the posts being a rant about how the doctors were failing to note that the membrane in the corpus luteum in Olivia's brain was thinning, despite the corpus luteum being a structure in the ovary. The same nurse aide we quoted earlier when discussing who Olivia Gant was recalled in an interview with the Denver Post regarding Turner that the doctors were jumping through her hoops because she was so public. She could make or break children's or the treating physicians that that mother could because she had them in a vice grip. We're now going to cover a small bit about Munchausen's by proxy. Munchausen's by proxy is a psychological condition where somebody feigns poor health in another for attention. The correct terminology for a Munchausen syndrome is actually fictitious disorder, and in this case, it is a case of fictitious disorder by proxy, though it could be argued that it was a severe case of malingering, but that will be touched on later. According to Dr. Feldman, fictitious disorder is a control mechanism where patients manipulate the reactions of others by controlling their own symptoms. Fictitious disorder is often described as disease forgery for the sake of forgery itself, coupled with the concomitant benefits of being ill that may include nurturing, sympathy and lenience from others. It's important to note that conversion disorder contrasts sharply with fictitious disorder and malingering because of the patient's conviction in the former that he or she is actually ill. Detection of Munchausen's by proxy. As we always like to do in each case we cover, we are now going to discuss a topic that may save a life, both physically and metaphorically. Handing it over to you, Turtle. According to Dr. Feldman, there are some significant warning signs of fictitious disorder by proxy. The following are warning signs he lists in his book, Playing Sick. Signs and symptoms begin only when the parent or caregiver is or has recently been alone with the child. Suspected fictitious disorder by proxy perpetrators and others often declare that someone else could verify that they saw the problem, such as a respiratory arrest. This claim may or may not be true. One missed attempt to determine whether the observer actually saw and heard what happened at the original moment when the child changed from normal to having symptoms. The problems resolve when the parent or caregiver is separated from the child. For example, there is a positive separation test. Other children in the family have had unexplained illnesses or died for unknown reasons. Data from tests and procedures are consistent with feigned or produced problems. For example, particular blood studies can help indicate whether insulin or drugs have been administered unnecessarily. The problems consistently fail to respond to inappropriate treatment. An example of this is that one MBP mother boasted that her child's infections persisted despite 52 antibiotics trials. The parent or caregiver is proved to have provided false information or fabricated a problem. The parent or caregiver has a history of feigning or inducing illness in themselves and may potentially even have fictitious disorder. The disease that remain... The diseases only... Uh, 
The only diseases that remain as possible diagnoses are exceptionally rare. According to Dr. Feldman, accurate detection can be enhanced by separating the child from the parent or caregiver and seeing if the illness persists. But the children themselves may resist the separation or develop an apathy until reunited with the abusive parent. Analyzing the previous medical cause for a temporal relationship between illness and the presence of the parent or caregiver. Retaining selected specimens and supplies for detailed investigation. For example, the presence of poisons in an infant formula mixed by the parent or caregiver. Obtain a psychiatric consultation, even if it's only to support the befuddled staff, if the question of MBP arises. Stationing a nurse near the child's hospital room to observe the parent or caregiver's interactions with the child. Asking the child themselves wherever possible. Performing specialised testing, for example including tests for laxatives in the child's stools or performing an EEG which may reveal brain effects from surreptitiously admission administered drugs. Finding time to spend with the child's mother during regular visits. During that time, gentle questions asked about the parents or caregiver themselves and the child's home life may be enlightening and give doctors and staff an insight into possible motives for maltreatment. Considering alternative possibilities such as the parent or caregivers being overly anxious but not deceptive or the child's having troubling side effects from medications that have been misperceived as entirely benign. Another option is malingering by proxy abuse in which the mother invents illnesses in a child to accrue tangible benefits such as cash gifts, utilising covert video surveillance. Finally, it's crucial to note that in 1999, a review of published reports suggested that around 3.5% of cases were a misdiagnosis of MBP when it was not. In such cases, a misdiagnosis of MBP can be psychologically damaging and cause families to struggle to trust healthcare professionals with future health issues that may arise. It's important to be vigilant, but to also approach such cases with care. According to an article published by doctors at Seattle Children's Hospital, blogs like Turner's where there are inconsistencies between the parents' recounting of their children's health and their medical records can be a potential sign of medical child abuse. Though it isn't standard medical practice for healthcare professionals to go snooping through parents' social media accounts, doctors have raised concerns about reading parents' blogs because it could cross the professional boundaries. Once MBP has been suspected, the child's safety must be the first priority. The records will show you that Olivia was able to eat, that Olivia was a healthy, normal child, that Olivia was not sick, that Olivia's mother's complaints were unfounded. One example they highlight is with Olivia's mother giving her Keppra, a drug doctors say is used to treat seizures. I know a neurologist ordered Olivia's mother to stop giving her anti-seizure medication because there was no evidence that Olivia was suffering from seizures. So how was her mother still able to get a hold of that medication and administer it to Olivia? That needs to be investigated. I totally agree with that statement, but um, a lot of the language that was used in the big bit I've just reeled off, I don't necessarily agree with on a personal level, 
Like I know technically, yes, it is abuse. Technically, it is, you know, not good caring practice. But it's not necessarily coming from a place of malevolence like actual abuse does. It's not coming from anger or hate or negative emotion. It's coming from anxiety and stuff like that, so... Well, unless it's malingering by proxy. Yeah, unless it's malingering, but then... You know, most of that was discussing the Munchausen's by proxy, so I wouldn't necessarily say that abuse is the right terminology there. No, but if it is suspected, the child safety still needs to be the first priority because at the end of the day, a lot of harm can be done. Yes, a lot of harm can be done. And I do agree that the child safety is absolutely paramount. Um, I'm just wondering about, how, you know, like causing, creating a stigma with language usage. Oh, in all honesty though, Factitious disorder by proxy or Munchausen syndrome by proxy generally stems from the parent's desire to desire for attention. And according to um, Dr. Feldman, um, he actually believes that some of it could also be due to them gaining some sort of pleasure from fooling um, medical professionals. I mean, there, there is there is definitely an argument that the word usage they have is correct. I I just worry that it's not necessarily the case for all uh, Munchausen's by proxy cases. We'll leave it up for debate. Yeah, leave um, it up for debate. So, put what you think in the comments below. What do you think? regarding Munchausen's by proxy is it necessarily should it be described as child abuse or is it a case of a mental health condition that is causing I guess mistreatment of a child medical mistreatment I think mistreatment's what I'd go for it's not by any stretch of the imagination okay or fair to the child but I wouldn't, it's not necessarily something that is done with an intent to cause harm, which is why I was saying about abuse. I think it's more mistreatment. Well, why don't we see what the audience think? Yeah. All right, comment down below. What do you think? As Is it child abuse or is it medical mistreatment of a child? How do you think it should be described? Let us know. Now, back to the case. Originally, the police looked into this case for fraud, as Turner claimed that Jeff's insurance wouldn't allow him to cover Olivia because of her pre-existing condition. You may recall from earlier in the episode when we were discussing Turner's interview that she mentioned about Munchausen's by proxy. During the interview, she stated she knows it means when a parent or carer makes a child sick on purpose or does things in relation to their child's illness for attention. Turner stated that the attention is on their child when really the parent or carer is wanting attention for themselves. 
she stated that this was never her case, like at all, whatsoever. Turner said, you can talk to anyone who has stood by my side throughout this. Turner brought up Munchausen by proxy spontaneously, as it wasn't introduced by Detective Allen or DHS. She stated that if she had anything to hide, she wouldn't be signing medical forms. Turner eventually admitted to fabricating Olivia's sister's childhood cancer diagnosis, but maintained that Olivia's medical conditions were legitimate. A caseworker described a separation test that was performed with Olivia's sister and explained that Turner was not allowed to be in the house with Olivia's sister during the test. Her sister stated that she had not had any additional medical problems or pain since the 11th of October 2018. On the 28th of November 2018, Olivia's remains were exhumed and a complete autopsy took place by the pathologist Dr. Kelly Lear, who stated, based on the lack of anatomic findings to account for her chronic intestinal failure, the non-specific toxicology reports, and the inability to exclude caregivers' fabricated illness and manner of death is best the manner of death is best certified as undetermined. Dr. Lear also noted that the lack of any anatomical findings would account for Olivia's health, which stated the cause of death and the lack of anatomical findings to support many of the conditions that Turner claims Olivia suffered. Court. During court proceedings, a few weeks prior to the case going to court, Turner accepted a plea deal. Turner was sentenced in Douglas County District Court to 16 years in prison for child abuse resulting in death, 10 years for felony theft, and 3 years for charity fraud. The previous charges of first-degree murder, attempt to influence a public servant, and forgery were dropped as part of an agreement with the prosecutors. Turner's attorney told the judge, she is not guilty of murdering her child. The plea in this case is negligent child abuse. During the virtual sentencing, Turner said nothing but wiped away tears as the court played a video produced by Olivia's grandfather, Lonnie Gaytrue, of Olivia laughing, smiling and baking a cake, dancing in her little princess costume and playing doctor with her dolls. In a statement from Gaytree that was read during opening by a prosecutor, this is the truth about Olivia that has caused such a deep pain that continues to ravish me every day. Authorities stated that Turner spent years fabricating her daughter's illness, getting sympathy from TV news stories and charities. The amount of theft from charity was between 100,000 US dollars and one million US dollars, according to prosecutors. Psychiatrists have stated that Turner's behavior seemed consistent with Munchausen syndrome by proxy. The experts then went on to say that these types of cases are not easy to detect. She brought up the syndrome on her own during an interview with investigators and denied she had it. In a statement, John Kellner, the district attorney stated, this is a despicable crime. This defendant deserves to serve years behind bars. The prosecutor stated that she approved surgery after surgery and insisted that Olivia was not getting any better. It was Miss Turner who then put her daughter into hospice care and pushed for a DNR. If you don't know, a DNR means do not resuscitate. 
Judge Heron reportedly spoke about Turner's case being extremely difficult due to it involving the rare mental health condition Munchausen syndrome by proxy, a condition characterized by a caregiver causing or feigning an illness in a person under their care, usually a child, in order to garner attention for themselves. When sentencing Kelly, Judge Heron said, cases such as this can be very difficult, particularly when the involvement of such a rare condition as Munchausen's by proxy. Cases of Munchausen's by proxy can be heinous. They can be dangerous or they can be deadly. And when left undetected, it can, as it did here, result in the death of a young child. Heron is reported as saying that all sentences will be served concurrently and that the plea agreement negotiated between Turner's counsel and prosecutors called for the defendant to serve 16 years. Turner didn't speak during the virtual hearing, but had already acknowledged her guilt. According to the Denver Post, Heron also ordered that Turner cannot profit in any way from her deceased daughter's case. Judge Heron is quoted as saying, whether that be because of a movie consultation, book consultation or book deals, the order is that Miss Turner shall not and will not, for the rest of her life, be allowed to benefit further financially from this case or the facts connected with this case, and any money made from this case will be donated to charity. Turner, dressed in traditional prison garb and wearing a COVID-19 mask, appeared to be crying as the judge ruled that she could not see her other daughters, at least for now. At the sentencing, Olivia's grandfather, Lonnie, produced photos and videos of Olivia and they were playing, including one of her on a van singing her favourite song, Hakuna Matata, from The Lion King, on the way to hospice. The Aftermath Members of the Children's Hospital Colorado reported that they were concerned for Olivia, suspecting medical abuse, but they didn't report it until after Olivia had passed. Since Kelly entered a guilty plea and started her 16-year prison sentence, a task force of at least 32 experts on child abuse and law was formed, with the goal of reforming the mandatory reporting law to make it more effective. When commenting about the task force, Olivia's granddad said, They seem like a highly credible group who are going to get the mandatory reporting issues fixed. It completely failed my granddaughter and I can't say more than that. The attorney who represents Olivia's family said that the doctor saw Olivia for over a thousand hospital visits and performed over 25 unnecessary surgical procedures beginning in 2012. This was reported by Pueblo NBC affiliate for the KOAA. Lonnie also said if anybody had spoke up and protected Olivia, she would be here today. This truth about Olivia has caused such a deep pain that it continues to ravage me every day. The family of Olivia sued Children's Hospital and settled for an undisclosed amount. Olivia's grandfather previously told CBS4 the lies were discovered too late. That would have saved her life. She would still be with us today. We would have custody of her. She would still be with us. After Turner's conviction in 2022, the public response has been to liken it to cases such as that of Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Gant's case has generated debates over the role of healthcare professionals in preventing child abuse 
as well as the recognition of Munchausen by proxy as a mental illness. Heffelbauer Funeral and Cremation Services maintains an obituary webpage for Gantt, which has since been saturated with comments from the general public pointing out Turner and Gantt's involvement in Gantt's death. It does appear as though Turner had intended for Olivia to die for a while, as it's reported that she was at high risk of an overdose during a hospital stay in 2017, after she had been placed on a DNR. Turner urged the doctor on duty overnight to double Olivia's dose of opioid medication. The doctor subsequently pushed back, informing Turner that the dose that she was requesting could stop a child's breathing. It was reported that Turner responded, while she's DNR, and the doctor stated this is precisely why he wanted to be cautious in this matter and declined to increase the dosage. Our thoughts and opinions. As we've already had um, one slight debate previously, we want to know what your thoughts and opinions regarding this case are. But of course, we have a lot to say for ourselves regarding the events that unfolded and just how much Olivia had been failed in this case. So my first opinion is that Turner got off way too lightly in this case. After having read through everything she forced Olivia to go through, it can only be described as medical torture. She only got 16 years for essentially torturing and murdering her daughter, while Olivia lost her childhood and then she lost her future. She deserves justice and I personally, I wouldn't call what Turner received as justice. Secondly, though this case is classified as Munchausen's by proxy, and I'm no expert, but there are a lot of features of malingering. Turner was profiteering from Olivia's ill health, and it seems to me that the worse Olivia's health became, the more Turner was benefiting financially. Perhaps it was more along the lines of malingering by proxy, and the hospital truly failed Olivia in every way. More should have been done to protect her and no amount of money is going to bring that poor girl back. They should have put in that mandated report to the local authorities for it to be properly investigated. As damaging as a misdiagnosis of Munchausen's by proxy may be, is not as damaging as losing a life as a result of the mental health condition. And finally, my heart absolutely breaks for Lonnie. He and his wife moved to Colorado because they genuinely believed Olivia was dying because of Turner's manipulation and lies. It was the final dagger in that poor man's heart when he discovered they had all been alive. I don't think I can truly put it into words. The psychological torment he must go through on a daily basis, I couldn't comprehend in my wildest dreams. In my opinion, Turner is truly evil for what she did, not only to Olivia, but to all those that loved her. My opinion is that, yes, Kelly Turner is responsible here, but there is also a systemic issue here. The systemic issue is the heart of the problem here. I cannot believe that so many medical professionals have said that they had these doubts 
and then didn't say anything to the police. Even when, technically speaking, the mandated reporting law wasn't followed because it was just an internal investigation. They didn't take it to authorities. They didn't push for it to be pushed further than an internal investigation. And there needs to be an investigation into why that occurred. And they need to make sure it never happens again. Never again do we anywhere want to hear that there is another case like poor Olivia. If it wasn't through medical torture, what Olivia would have gone through would have been similar to that of Gabriel Fernandez. So the time that she's got is getting off very, very lightly. I don't agree with the terminology of the word abuse, but at the end of the day, that is very, I, I can't think of a better word to describe what Olivia was put through and it ended up being fatal. Olivia was alive, and if the post-mortem is accurate, she was healthy. And if it had been reported, she would have been okay. There were no safeguarding actions taken to report her, to keep her safe while these doubts were being looked into. No one thought to double check what was being said by Turner. Nobody thought to check that this poor child wasn't just doing what children do and doing what mommy said and putting her trust in her mom. So many times you see children becoming a victim because they trust their mother in many different capacities. Here it's Olivia trusting that her mom knows what she's doing and is accurately advocating for her. And in Gannon Stark's case, it was hardly trusting that her mom wouldn't try and frame her for murder. I sincerely do hope that Kelly is getting the support that she needs with her, at least Munchausen's by proxy, if not malingering by proxy, to find out what the root cause is, or establish what the triggering event was that made these horrific events occur. Was it the actual constipation surgery that just made her anxious and then the, that anxiety festered there's or did she actually have malingering by proxy and was just using her daughter's ill health in order to financially benefit yes that's personally what i think it was i i think maybe it was festering anxiety but we won't know we will never know with the amount that she was benefiting financially and the worse Olivia got, the more money she got. The GoFundMe campaign, the Make-A-Wish Foundation, um, she got money from another charity. The, the cheque was handed to her. She was financially gaining. She was profiteering from Olivia's in so many ways. There's, cer there's certainly an argument for malingering by proxy. But whatever it is, I want her to be able to get the support that she needs to conquer this and not have her life continually ruled by it. I want this for her so that after she serves her sentence, she can have some kind of relationship with her family and not have to worry about the safety of her kids any further. 
I do I don't think that relationship is going to go back to normal because it can't I wouldn't imagine that anyone would get past the loss of Olivia but life is still going to go on for the for all of them afterwards further to that I think that when she is released she shouldn't have any medical responsibility for her kids and when she is released oh, to not. prevent any kind of re-triggering and keep the kids safe, I would say that it needs to at least go to a social worker, if not another member of the family. I think Turner needs to have all of her parental, parental responsibility. responsibility stripped. Yeah, I also don't think that the kids should live with her. Because having read all that I read on Munchausen's by proxy and stuff during the production of this like people with Munchausen's by proxy will go to so many extreme lengths I read on just Munchausen syndrome and there was a case that I came across of a woman who kept being admitted to hospital needing blood transfusions because she was so severely anemic and it turned out that she was literally removing her own blood like getting an eel taking her own blood out yeah I can't remember by what means but um so they will go to extreme they will go to massive extremes in order to get that attention and to make the illness seem as real as possible there was another case of Munchausen's by proxy that I came across where the mother kept um infecting a surgical wound of her child by literally smearing it with feces there's been and um, people injecting feces and all sorts it's just it's chuffing crazy absolutely crazy the more you read into it and the more you delve in yeah i mean the, the this case the case of olivia it, it's what i now just used to describe my irritation with medical professionals always calling mom the mother knows best mentality. Originally, my irritation stemmed from the, my own anxiety. I don't like having phone calls and stuff like that. But my husband is quite competent on the phone and he lives with me. He knows just how well my children are, just as well, if not better than me. And it it just, it puts it into a big perspective for you. When you're looking into the Munchausen's, um, how many cases were female versus male? Majority are female. Yeah. So this mother knows best mentality, the calling of the mother and relying on the mother for medical knowledge and not checking with anyone else in the family. I mean, her granddad was right there, repeatedly helping with the kids and stuff like that, that easily there has to have been other people who were there and could have noticed Olivia's behaviour, how Olivia seemed to be themselves, their own witness reports. There were so many steps that they could have done, but no, they just went with Kelly's words. And that is what 
that is what was damaging in this case. That is what ultimately led to Olivia's death. I think I can speak for both of us when I say this, that this has been a truly gut-wrenching case to cover and our thoughts do go out to all of those that knew Olivia when she was alive. We also hope that through covering Olivia's case, we have achieved our goal in educating people in the hopes it saves lives. If you like this episode and you're listening to us on YouTube, please give it a like and subscribe. It boosts us in the algorithm and we truly appreciate all the support we get. We would also like to know your thoughts in the comments, but please do keep them respectful with the family in mind. Also, if you're listening to us on Spotify, please give us a rating and a follow. Is that all helps in what we do also if you have any particular cases that you'd like for us to do a deep dive into um comment them on anything and we will have a look and possibly the best place to comment them is our facebook page or instagram yes those are by far the most active now, let's take a moment to remember the beautiful light that was Olivia Gant, stolen from this world far too soon. And we are going to mention this because it was stated as being her favourite song, Akuna Matata. It means no worries. Hopefully see you next time on another Shit Detectives episode. Bye! Bye.